In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. It was the summer of 2001. I was working as an intern chaplain at Napa State Hospital. It's a large hospital in Napa, California for the mentally ill. And uh, most of those who are there uh, are those that have committed crimes and have been found unable to stand trial due to their mental illness. So they're not able to uh, convey what a prosecutor does or what a defense attorney does. They're not able with any consistency to uh, be able to understand how to participate in their own defense in a trial setting. So uh, I was working as a chaplain and uh, started out my summer there without really knowing exactly what I was going to do. I sat with my mentor, Chaplain Nick Ristad, who was the Protestant chapel there. And we sat in his office and Nick, as he uh, was wont to do, leaned way back in his chair and he put his feet up on the desk and he said, so what are you going to do this summer? So I named a couple of things and we talked through and one of the things I really wanted to do was to have a Bible study because I had spent a couple of days walking through the wards with him, and this was consistently the thing that the patients asked for the most. They wanted Bibles. Uh, They wanted King James that said the Holy Bible with Jesus' words in red. This was consistent across the board. This is what everybody wanted. And they wanted Bible study. And I thought that could be really fun to do a Bible study. And Nick said, well, you know, I've had Bible studies in the past and they don't always go very well because everybody here uh, is of a different faith and so they really start to kind of argue and fight and so it'll go okay for a while, but then it really kind of disintegrates, you know. And I said, well, I understand that, uh, but, you know, I'd like to, to try. So uh, I organized the Bible study and I got over a dozen people to come to this Bible study, which was really uh, really wonderful, and uh, truly there were you know uh, Muslims and there were Hindus and there were Christian scientists and Baptists and Holiness Pentecostals, and uh, all of them had committed horrible crimes, and uh, all of them wanted to stand trial to a person. They all really wanted to be able to go to trial, and they all really wanted to uh, be able to consistently say what what they had done was wrong, why it was wrong what they needed to do to improve. Uh, But they, like us, struggled mightily with that. Because, uh, you know, that filter that we get at about age three or four, where we figure out I shouldn't say these things out loud, was totally missing for these folks, right? And they would just say everything that they thought. And often there would be lots of confusion in the conversation. And to me, this is really where we are all at to some degree. We're confused. We're often able to say what the right thing to do is, but we're very rarely able to do it with any kind of consistency. And this is exactly where the people are in Exodus chapter 16. They're confused. The people in Exodus chapter 16 have just left Egypt. They've just crossed the uh, Red Sea. Moses in chapter 15 has sung his beautiful song, the song of Moses, where he praises God for bringing them out of the wilderness. They're in their first day in the wilderness, and what is their first thing that they say? Where's lunch? Right? What's God going to do for me now? And they see that there's no lunch immediately set on the table, and then what do they say? We're going to die. 
So they go from miracle after miracle, week after week, with Pharaoh and with uh, crossing the Red Sea and coming out into the wilderness, being free from this hand of tyranny. And as soon as they don't see exactly what they want in that minute, their bellies aren't able to be fed, right in that minute they say, well, you might as well just kill us. They fall immediately into despair. They're confused. I can relate to this. I don't know if you all can. But I can relate. The Lord cares for me one time after another, sees me through one difficult thing after another, and then as soon as there's some need that isn't immediately being fulfilled, or I don't see immediately how he's going to fix it, I just say, oh my goodness, what what am I going to do, right? And we so easily fall into confusion and despair. The amazing thing is what the Lord's response to that is. His response is to feed them, and to feed them with his presence. And that gets missed, that the primary way that the Lord feeds them is by showing them his glory. You see how he says, I'm going to reveal my glory to them, and he's going to reveal it to them in the cloud. And you remember that this cloud follows them throughout the Exodus, all the way through to when Joshua leads them into the promised land, you remember. So the primary way that he feeds them, the primary way that God wants to relate to his people is to be with them. He wants to have his presence with them. This is God's desire, to dwell with his people. And then, of course, he gives them the manna. He feeds them the manna in the wilderness. And he does this, he says, in order to test them. Now, immediately we start to think, how is giving you lunch a test? And then why would he test them? Isn't that a mean thing to do? At least you might think that if you're the kind of student that I was. Because when my teachers talked about giving me a test, I'd think, well, you don't believe me that I know it? Or is this some new form of punishment, right, having to give me a test? I never liked them. It always seemed like some kind of a, of a you know, oppositional kind of a relationship. But testing is so important. It's important for a good teacher and for a good student. Because we don't know what to teach our students. We don't know what to provide for them if we don't test them. If we don't figure out what do they already know. What are they able to do? If we don't figure that out in testing, we won't know how to teach them. We do this for jet airplanes and all kinds of other mechanical devices. We put them through a series of tests, don't we? To see, do they work? Not because we want the plane to crash, but because we want to figure out how does it need to be improved. We do this with cakes. We test cakes, right? We don't want the cake to fall, but we want to test the recipe, don't we? So that we can perfect it and make it better. And this is what the Lord is doing with us. He wants to test us so that he can perfect us. And he's asking us to participate with him. So he's saying, can you follow my rules? Now what the people wanted is they wanted a whole bunch of manna to fall so they could put it into a big pot and they could keep it someplace so that they could look at it and feel safe. That's what each of us wants, right? We don't want to just get a little bit every day. We want to have a whole bunch in a big storeroom so that we can look at it and say, oh look, see, I've got enough. I worked really hard. I gathered a whole bunch and look at how much I've got. So I'm going to be safe for this amount of time, right? This is what we do with politics. This is what we do with national defense. This is what we do with our savings accounts. We want to say, look at the big thing that I've got that's going to keep me safe, right? We don't want to depend upon the Lord every day. We want to depend upon that big pot of manna. And the Lord says, I'm not going to give you enough for every day. And it's going to rot if you try to hold on to it. You're going to have to turn to me every day and go out and get the manna every day. The only time he allows them to gather enough for the next day is the day before the Sabbath. So on Friday, they have to gather twice as much to hold them over on the Sabbath because that's the day when they're not supposed to gather, but they're supposed to completely rest in the Lord. And of course, Jesus turns this whole thing on its head and says, now every day is a Sabbath. You have to rest and depend on me 
every day. So this is where the people are still at, amazingly enough, when Jesus comes 1,500 years later, and he's in their midst, and they're in the wilderness again, and he's given them lunch, they said, we want more food. Give us more food. And that's why we're spending a whole month reading John chapter 6 to understand what Jesus' response is to this desire for give us more of this bread. We want to get more of this miraculous bread. We want more of this manna. And Jesus is going to explain to them what kind of bread they're supposed to have. So they, they follow him. You remember now they were on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They go to the other side. Jesus walks across the water so he makes it faster than anybody. And you remember that the apostles are struggling in their boats and everybody else has to walk all the way around the sea and they see that he's been there for a while and they say, how did you get here? What? what, what? And, and they ask the wrong question, right? They want to know his mode of transportation. What they were supposed to ask is, who are you? That's the right question. They're supposed to ask, who, who are you that's able to do these miracles and who's able to come across this sea? They asked the wrong question. If they had asked that question, then he could have told them clearly and they would have been ready to hear who it is that, that he is, that he is God, right, who has come to be with them. The second thing that they should have asked is, now that we know that you're God, what are we supposed to do? This is the question that finally gets asked. Finally, at Pentecost, you remember, as St. Peter tells them who God is, they say, what now shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, right? And live according uh, to the Holy Spirit, right? Sacrifice your lives as Christ has sacrificed him. Live in sacrificial love. So they don't ask either one of those questions, but they get stuck on how did you do these things and why aren't you doing what Moses did? And Jesus says, this isn't about you having another meal. This is about you coming into a deeper relationship with God and the Lord's desire to fill you with an eternal bread that would feed your souls so that you're able to come into a deeper relationship and God is able to dwell with you completely. Jesus is bringing them back to say, God doesn't want to just dwell in a cloud around you. He wants to dwell within you. This is the bread, the bread that's going to take this God of the universe that was dwelling in a cloud and he's going to bring this God and place him in your hearts and you are going to become tabernacles. He wants to tabernacle with you in a new and radical way and you do that by eating my body and drinking my blood because I am the bread of life. And so when you consume me, when you bring me into you, then eternal life is in you. The kingdom of God has come within you. And this is the radical understanding, the radical message of the gospel that St. Paul is still trying to tell the Ephesians about in chapter 4 here, right? He's telling them, you're not supposed to be focused upon these, these institutions that you want to build. They're, you're not supposed to be focused on these, these temporary things. We get so focused on temporary stuff, don't we? We get focused on politics. We get focused on, on what's temporarily here. Even building Jesus the Good Shepherd. This is not going to last forever. Ephesus is gone, by the way, right? The city of Ephesus that Paul was writing to, the city isn't even there 
anymore. Not the way it was in St. Paul's day, let alone that church community, but look at how much greater the church is that he's writing to, right? That we're reading that message. So we get all caught up in these day-to-day politics and St. Paul is saying, take a step back and look that this God of the universe is filling everything. He says he is going to fill all in all. He says we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the purpose of God. This is what he's come to do. This is what Jesus is doing. He is filling all things. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing with us. He is filling all things. He has come to make the whole world and all of us his tabernacle to dwell with us. And how does he do this? St. Paul quotes from Psalm 68. He says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he explains what this means. He says, He who ascended. He says, How did he ascend? Because he first descended. This is Christ, who is the Creator God, who descended to become man, so that he could ascend, resurrect his body, and resurrect all of us, ascend us, into everlasting life so that we could fill with him all in all. God became man so that man might become one with God. He says he descended so that he can ascend with us. What's his purpose in that? So that he might fill all things. You see how St. Paul's saying that over and over again? God's plan is to fill everything. So let's get with the program. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through love. He's not going to do that by you memorizing a couple of things or having some clear understanding of astronomy or the cosmos. He's going to do that through love. That's how we're going to get the knowledge of God, by sacrificing ourselves in love the way that he did for us. When we do that, when we submit ourselves and we lower ourselves, then God is able to fill us, fill us completely, and we now have him in us as all things in love, and we're able to go with him and to be with him in love. His desire is to fill all things so that we can, he says we are to, right? Meaning this hasn't happened yet. This is our goal. We are to grow up. Isn't that great? God's plan for us is to finally grow up. To grow up in every way into him who is Christ. He makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're supposed to be growing in maturity, growing in Christ, growing in our loving understanding so that He is in us and we in Him in maturity. That means that we are with the program. That means that we are not every second that we don't get what we want, falling into dismay, forgetting what the rules are, forgetting what God's plan is, forgetting who we are in Him, forgetting what it is that His plan is. Like children, we're supposed to grow up and be about the kingdom of God. Near the end of the summer that I spent with Nick, which was a wonderful wonderful summer in ministry. I was so blessed to lead that Bible study. They were all so generous to me. Mine lasted the whole three months, not because of anything I did, but because they knew I was a young intern and they were very kind to me and very patient. I can see all of their faces in my mind, as confused and as broken as they were. And we were standing at the door of the Protestant chapel 
as the patients and the nurses and those that had attended that Sunday were walking out the door, just like I try to do here at Jesus the Good Shepherd every Sunday. And uh, it was my last week, and I was starting to feel, uh, you know, I'm going to really miss these folks. And one of the guys that attended the Bible study came up and started to ask Nick a question. And the deeper he got into the question, the more disorganized his speech became. And finally, Nick put up his hand and he stopped him and he said, stop it with the crazy talk. If you want to talk crazy, go someplace else. Tell me what it is that you want. The man stopped. His eyes cleared. He told Nick exactly what it was that he was asking for. Nick said, great, you can come to my office tomorrow at such and such a time. The man agreed. And he walked out. How wonderful to have somebody mature in faith, like Chaplain Nick Ristad, to stop us when we get confused, and when we get disorganized, and when we forget what we're about, and to say, grow up. You know right from wrong. You know the purposes of God. You know His plan of salvation. It's time to get about His business. To love sacrificially, that you may know Christ all in all. We will not know Him without loving sacrifice. It is the only way to know and to allow Him to fill us, that He may be with us all in all. May we grow up this day and forevermore.